Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi, fellow listeners, and welcome to episode 39 of Can I Pick Your Brain? Today, I'll be picking the brain of Aaron Jenks. Aaron is a no-nonsense, up-in-your-face business coach and sales mentor. He has experienced the highs and the lows of business and life and is here to share with us why you can either be a low performer or a high performer. Aaron is also a fellow podcaster and hosts the Aaron Jenks Show, Insights for Winning the War of Success. Aaron, welcome to the show and thanks for letting me pick your brain. Happy to be here, Daniel. Let's do this. Let's do this. Now, I I know that you started as an errand boy for a Fortune 500 company when you were 18 and then you got promoted to regional director and then you won an award for being the most valuable salesperson in the company. But before we get into that, can you take us back to when you were just a young boy? What was it like growing up? I was raised by a single mom, and even though I did have a relationship with my dad, uh, it was a distant one because we lived in Georgia and he lived in Florida, and he was in the timeshare business and and still owns a timeshare company. Mm -hmm. And he was very much an influence in my life, but basically it was my mom. And my mom's also an entrepreneur, a sales lady. And uh, growing up, I've always been a rebel. I don't like to learn what people want me to learn. I was a horrible student for all intents and purposes because... I don't want to learn what you want me. What do I need to learn algebra for? It doesn't make any sense. So <laughs> I graduated high school, believe it or not, mm-hmm. on time with a 1.999. I mean, I barely graduated. Wow. I didn't do any work. I would just show up. I wouldn't even open my book. They'd have parent-teacher conferences. They said, hey, look, he's extraordinarily bright. He's ex- so, so bored. But it's not like we could put him in advanced classes because he, he doesn't do any work. Right. So... I just did enough to get by to where I graduated, and and so I did, and and then uh, I, I went to a community college, but I dropped dropped out from there. Well, and okay, and then what happened? Well, when I dropped out of community college, I did so because I thought, well, what the hell am I doing more of this for? This is like more high school, because <laughs> right. you know, community college is like a like a. It's like a club with books, you know, you pay the money and they let everybody in. It doesn't matter. Right, right. So I I got in, dropped out like the next week, and even though I paid for the classes. Actually, my dad paid for the classes. And I I got a job as the errand boy that you, you mentioned, dropping off copies because it was for an advertising marketing company, uh, dropping off copies of ads, picking up invoices, just doing all the crap that the sales and sales managers didn't want to do, and that was me. That's what I did. And you were and 18, they, so you were 18 at that point? Yeah, 18. Before, before that, you had no sales experience or any no. no business experience? No, and I was a very much an introvert mm-hmm. because I, I used to, my dad and them, they'd make fun of me because I had such low people skills. Like I would, you know, not look people in the eye, hey, how you doing? Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> right. bad, bad people skills. Right. But when I became 18, I became infatuated with learning the skill of selling because I recognized that if you knew how to sell, you could basically do anything. You right. could get, you, you're, it's influencing people. So you could get investors, 
for things. You could, you know, sway people to your way. You could sell. Like you could always have a bit, have a business, have a job if you knew how to sell. And I also recognize that salespeople are the highest paid professions that are, that there are. Mm-hmm. So higher than doctors and lawyers. So I knew all that because I'd grown up around salespeople. And uh, I said, you know, I'm going to learn this sales thing. So when I was 18, I when I got into it because everybody else was in sales, and as even though I was an errand boy, I started reading sales books. I started to like Abraham Lincoln said, you know, I'll prepare myself, and perhaps my chance will come. Mm-hmm. And For I sure. I was just studying and going to some seminars, and I got the opportunity to do a re-sign up with a client, and I ended up selling them. I don't remember the details of the whole event, but I remember up selling them a lot more than what they originally were signed up for. And they said, hey, that's cool. You know, why don't, this, why don't you, you go out and try to sell a couple more, kid? So I did, and I broke all kinds of records my first time out the gate. And then from then on, they let me loose. And <laughs> I was kind of like an entrepreneur because they didn't care what the hell I did. They left me alone because I wanted to be left alone. Uh-huh. But, but they did promote me. From from there to sales manager up and up to I was, you know, a sales trainer in the company, and um, from I got bored though, Daniel. I got to admit to you, mm-hmm. and I got into real estate investing. Can we can we stop for a second? Doing that. Can we stop for a second, Aaron? Just because I want to backtrack, I want to get into detail. You you just talked about how for eighteen years of your life you were an introvert. You weren't a people's person. You didn't even know how to look people in the eye. Uh, right. And then you fast forwarded to becoming regional manager and starting a whole. Before we go there, I want to kind of just for the sake of our listeners, really tap into that moment of when you changed from introvert to extrovert to super salesperson. First of all, what what do you think it was that caused you to be an introvert? Do you think it was just personality, or do you think it was because of the fact that you didn't have a father growing up? What what part of your life sort of, I guess, made you scared to look people in the eye? Yeah, because I was an only child. And when you're an only child, my mom would always tell me, you know, that you're, you're great, you can do whatever you want to do, you can... And so when you have a dad, that's the, the female side, the nurture. Mm-hmm. And then when you have a dad... The male side, he pushes you to do things to get out of your comfort zone. Well, my mom never really did that. Hmm. So whatever I would want to do, she'd keep me within my comfort zone. If I started playing on the football team and I didn't like it, I, she'd let me quit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love my mom, you know, but, but th- that's the truth. And so that kind of conditions you to stay within your comfort zone. Well, when you meet new people, that's outside of your comfort zone. Mm. So that 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 progression caused me to be like that. Now, if I would have grown up with my dad, that would have absolutely not been the case because he is a you know high performance person, and he would have made sure that you know I I was like that and got me outside of my comfort zone. Although I wouldn't have the nurturing side, mm-hmm. but that's what the benefits you have, mom and a dad. Right, right. But you, I mean, you can't really blame your mom for for wanting to hang on to you, obviously. No, no. You know, my mom. <laughs> it's it's what it's what. Uh, what was meant to be sex is different you know and that's what's great (laughs) right so so you're 18 years old and you're still kind of shy but you you notice around you that there's all these you know uh high performance uh people who are able to go out and sort of get the girl or get the job or get the you know uh, start the business or sell whatever they want and you want that so what did you do i mean you say you read some books what books did you read to, to really help you come out of your shell well stephen covey Oh, yeah. Seven Habits, mm-hmm. and I became enthralled with Zig Ziglar. Ah, I, yeah. Everything, everything Zig, I consumed because 
he was actually a friend of our family. My uncle was wow. his right-hand man during the 80s and traveled all over the world and the country with him as, you know, his helper. And, he, you know, he was basically apprentice under Zig. Zig went to his wedding. And so I, I had that introduction to Zig and I got to meet him and have lunch with him and correspond with him through emails. So you that had made lunch? it even more big for me. You had lunch with Zig Ziglar? Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. What did you, what did you get out of that? Line? I mean, what did you ask him? What did you talk about? What was his advice to you? Well, he was a, he's very different than how he is on stage. He's actually an introvert. No way. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a very boring guy off the stage. <laughs> but he's, wow. He is, he is who he, he is, but he's just, he even admits he's an introvert. And he, he, when he's off, off stage, he's like, talks like this. Thank you. <laughs> and, and very kind of, you gotta, gotta pick him, pick his brain. <laughs> else he just won't volunteer things because he's more introverted. Wow. So I, I, I talked with him about, uh, he talks a lot about the same stuff that he does on stage, you know, integrity and prepare, preparation and hmm. things like that. But uh, he's basically the same guy on, on stage, off stage, except he's boring and introverted off stage. <laughs> what was your favorite book that you read of his? You know, I guess my favorite book would have to be the traditional one to see you at the top. Which started off, which used to be biscuit fleas and pump handles, but he changed the name for marketing purposes. See you at the top. See you at the top. Okay. What yeah. was it that you took out of that book that I guess makes it your favorite book? Well, that it's your attitude that makes the difference. Because Zig is a sales guy, right? That's how mm -hmm. he started. He started as a sales trainer. It actually, took him sixteen years of being a professional speaker before he got known. Really? So he was just yeah, sixteen years. Wow! And from the before he could go full time, and during those sixteen years, he was a sales trainer. That's what he would speak on. So basically, all these stuff that he talks about with attitude and all those all make a good salesperson. Now there's skills that you learn to you know the other you know thirty percent, mm -hmm. but the first seventy percent, the first two thirds, has to do with your attitude about the way you look at things. So I took away that. It's not the economy. I still buy. I, I still. This is part of who I am. It's not the economy. It's not the people. It's not anything else. It's you. You mm -hmm. have to take responsibility for your own attitude. And because during bad economies, there's still people getting rich. Right. And during good economies, there's still people going broke. So it's not the economy. It's what's going on between your own two years in your head. So Zig would say, if you're stinking, is thinking your business will be in the exact same condition and i took that and i owned it and i accepted it and that's what caused me to go out and sell to be effective because i didn't care that i was young i didn't care that you know i looked like i could be their son or you know all the stuff that people would joke around when i started mm -hmm. i just went out and did it you basically just took action and the more you took action the more you proved to yourself that you can do it and that gave you more confidence to take more action and I didn't know any better, Daniel. I didn't know that I was too young. I didn't know. I, and I just, I did what they told me to do. And I also coupled that with stuff that my dad and my uncle and my grandfather taught me. By the way, my grandfather's a great salesman. He basically invented the timeshare industry. Pretty the way wow. that it, yeah, the way that it is sold. And he was the CEO of the largest timeshare company in the world at the time. Wow. So, 
he, you know, not with the time when I was doing this, but before that. So he's a great, great salesman. And I was brought up, I was kind of born to be, I'm like an outlier salesperson. I mean, all these external things in my life that had nothing to do with me. I just had the benefit of having super salespeople around me. So all I did, Daniel, is I did what the company told me to do. And I coupled that in with some things that my dad and uncle and grandfather taught me. And I, I had a good attitude. So, I mean, you, you, you were talking, you mentioned before that you became the sales uh, regional uh, director. And, uh, and I'm going to get back to sales because I feel like that you've got a lot to share on that specific, uh, specifically. Uh, but I want to get into a little bit of your story before we do that. So you left regional manager um, and went to start investing in real estate. Right. Why, why did you do that? Because they started to change the structure of, the, of how they were selling their marketing and advertising packages to where I felt that it wasn't the same. Uh, of, of, there wasn't the same sell. It, it didn't work as good for the customer, mm. and that bothered me. Integrity. And they, yeah, integrity. It did. It bothered me because they weren't getting the same results. In other words, they were paying for something that mm. they didn't really need. They needed a piece of it, but they didn't need the whole thing without getting in all the details because it would just, you know, it's not relevant. But well, no, no, no. They, I, I completely understand that. I mean, yeah. I had a sell. I had a sales position as a mortgage broker in California. And uh, they were selling mortgages, obviously, as you as you know, they were making a, a, a minting, you know, mint selling mortgages. And of course, right. in 2008, when the mortgage uh, industry collapsed, um, mm -hmm. we we es essentially the mortgage brokerage that I worked for shifted overnight into a um, a uh, loan modification company, right? Right. So what what that meant was essentially we were going to save people from, you know, getting foreclosed on. And, and the company promised uh, that we would help them save their house and all they would need to do is pay us $3,000 for that. Now, bear in mind... I remember when those were big. You remember, right? Loan modification. Yeah, yeah now, I remember that. I started to smell something really bad after like a couple of months. I was getting calls from people who I'd sold the, you know, the, the service to and they were saying, you know, I mean, they were crying. They weren't, they, weren't, they weren't just yelling. They were crying to me on the phone saying, Daniel... What the F just happened? I'm being kicked out of my house with my family. You promised me that I would. And of course, I put down the phone after a, you know, a call like that. And I ran into the, to the head office, like the manager's office. And I said, what the hell is going on? Please tell me that, that, we're, that we're helping these people. I mean, what, what the hell? And I remember the guy just sort of turned around to me and just laughed and said, we're making money. You know, we, we, you know, we can't help everybody. And, and I said to him, well, how many people are we helping? I mean, are we helping most of them and he said i don't know you know whoever we help we help what's the difference to you and i like i literally just like said i'm out of here there's no way i'm no no way i'm selling this this is this is how do you sleep at night you know um and and they ended up getting shut down by the fbi uh, about six months later after i left <laughs> so it's so it's just, it, just insane some people you know you can make money by helping people, or you can make money by screwing people. Um, and I prefer to sleep, you know, well at night. And uh, yeah. So anyway, so, so that—that's exactly. I mean, yours is a little bit more dramatic than mine. Mm -hmm. But at the end of it, you have to believe what you're you're selling. And so it was more of a shift, though, Daniel. I'll ask you to answer your original question. I didn't just say I'm going to quit here and do that. I had gotten into investing when I was 19. 
So I had been dabbling with it, and it just got to the point to where number one, I don't like people telling me what to do. Mm-hmm. So that, that they, so they, they were changing the deal, and that was creating some friction. So I said, eh, it's okay, I, I'm I'm good. So I just went my separate way with them, and I I went straight way into real estate investing, and that's how I made the shift. And and you were doing well. Did you make a lot of money in the real estate uh, market? I did. I was living like a rock star. <laughs> I was, I, I, but I was young, so I was basically not saving. Not I was, you know, the way that I put it is, I was shuffling money. You know, I would be, I'd get big checks. Mm-hmm. You know, multiple times in a month, more than most people make in a year. Well, and, what's the biggest check? Sh- what's the biggest check you received? Uh, hundred thirty thousand dollars. What? In one month? Yeah. One deal. Not one bad. deal. Oh, one deal. Flip yeah, neck. one deal. Not one month. Wow. Wow. So, but I was shuffling money because I what I should have done. Now that I look back on it, and what I went went on later to do, but quite a quite a bit later is I should have taken that money, mm. and I should have went and bought other properties cash, and yep. then used them as rental properties to make passive income, which is what I later did. Right. But I didn't do that. I would just take that money. And I'd go shuffle about and go get, you know, five, six more houses. Hmm. So I, I really wasn't, I really wasn't making the money. I was just shuffling the money. Although I was spending a lot of money because I was living like, you know, I never really been a guy into cars and stuff like that. But I, I've been a guy that I just spend, you know, money. So right. that's what I did, and I didn't save a lot, and I didn't build up a portfolio. And so when the, the crash happened, the way that I bought houses crashed with it. So right. I didn't know what to do, and I didn't. I did have some money in reserves, but I was basically, ter- you know, bummed out. You went. You went broke. I eventually went completely broke. Food stamp broke. You're kidding me! All the money gone. Oh. I t- I was just shuffling money, Daniel. Just sho- I was just shuffling it, not saving, not. And I was a real estate investor, but not investing in real estate. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I hear that. But hold on, you went on food stamps. Went on food stamps. Here's how it happened. Wow. So the market crashed. The way that I bought all the houses became upside down, which you remember too. Yeah, yeah, I remember that's that. That's why you guys weren't giving out mortgages because nobody <laughs> would finance a house that's upside down. That's right. So when that happened, I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, but here I am, Mr. Big Shot. I'm not going to go out and get a job. Nobody I mean, what are they gonna like? What am I gonna do? Go go and be a sales manager, or go be a sales trainer, or something like that? I mean, I was, I had a bad attitude. That's, I hear that. that. That's what it came down to, and I did have, uh, and still do, my my wife. And at that time, I had a couple kids, and what you know, you I at, did have. What do you mean I, at I that did have, time? At that time, uh, you had a. Yeah, I'm saying you said you had a wife and a couple of kids. Then, no, I still do. I right, still do. Except okay. I have more more kids now. Right, right, but. They uh, they were around, and I we lived off the money, and eventually the money ran out because I didn't, you know, I didn't have income, I didn't have cash flow, I wasn't right. cash flowing, but I was still had house, I still had cars, I still had you know life. You buy, buy groceries, and mm-hmm. so eventually the money ran out, and I was so high on my horse and prideful, I wouldn't get a job. You know, we looked around and said, "Hey, we don't have any money for food." Wow. And, and what you know, what are we gonna do? And uh, well. What can we do? And we uh, 
we went, went, went and got on food stamps. I said, you know, I can't live like this. This is like, I, I, look at me. Like, the, my, my bad attitude has taken me so low to now I'm on food stamps. You know, it was just ridiculous. And I'm, so guessing, said, well, I'm, I'm guessing, Aaron, that you were, you, were, you were not willing to take money off your dad or your grandfather, for that matter. I never asked my grandfather for money, but I did ask my dad for some money at that point. And I, because look, you know, you go from broke and then I, we had to move, downsize. So I asked my dad for money to downsize and I still, I owed him money. So I wasn't going to ask him again for food money. Wow. Uh, That would have just been too much for me. And and then that would have been a big, huge lecture. It's uh, one I wasn't (laughs) willing to go with. So. Yeah, I, I, I signed up. We signed up for it, and it was embarrassing, man. You know, going to—I mean, they do let you put it on like a debit card thing. So, but still, it's like—it's a horrible feeling. It really is. It's—it's—it's. Mm. I feel bad for anybody who's on food stamps because it's a—it's a very humiliating experience. Right. That's that's. So, how did you how did you climb out of that? I mean. You, you had, first of all, you had to rebuild your self-image pretty much, right? I mean, what would you Absolutely. say? What would you say to someone listening right now who who has a low self-image and feels down in the dumps, pretty much where you were? You have a bad attitude. That's what I would say. I'd bring it back to Zig and what we talked about at the beginning, and that the reason that you're in this situation is because your quality of thinking has brought you to where you are today, and the quality of thinking that you have now will bring you to where you want to be tomorrow. And so with me and with them, the person listening, you're, you're where you are because of your, your thoughts or your limiting beliefs or whatever you think about your situation has led you to where you are today. Take me as the example. I should have had a, a better attitude and said, you know what? I'm going to go figure it out. I'm not going to feel bad for myself and, and sit around you know, looking at my navel and contemplating how bad life is and woe is me and here I am, what am I going to do with my life and all that. I should have went out and taken action and had a good attitude and said, you know what, I'm going to figure this out. I don't care what happens. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to do whatever it takes to figure it out. And the failure is not an option. If I would have had that attitude, which I eventually reclaimed, Mm -hmm. I would have not gone through all that because I would have not ran through my savings. I would have not done all that and I would have just continued on and spared myself a lot of pain and wasted time in the process. So I would tell that person, to do what you can do and say to yourself that failure is not an option and that you're going to do whatever it takes, as long as it's legal, moral, moral, and ethical, in order to accomplish whatever it is you want to accomplish. And if you have that mindset, you'll do it. Right, but a lot of people will argue in, uh, listening to this and say, oh, but you can't make money with, without money. Like, how, how do you... Oh, you wh- can. You, you need to learn how to sell. When you learn how to sell, you can go make money because you can know how to sell something. That's why I think that everybody should have basic sales skills. So what did you do next? How did you, how did you get out of that attitude, that stinking thinking, and then, and then build yourself back up again? So I figured out other ways to, to get properties, which I didn't figure out. I mean, there were people that were doing it. And so I just had to percolate again and figure, you know, figure out the deal. Mm-hmm. But... I also signed up to, I, I tried having some jobs. I tried going and selling timeshare, which uh, I did. And I went out and I got on the line, the timeshare line. And I basically, when somebody sells timeshare, they might sell one out of 10 
tours that they give. Right. Might. And, and usually the average guy will sell like one out of 15 tours. <laughs> and if you're really good, you might get two in a row. My first time, first time they let me loose on the line, I sold my first six tours in a row. What? First six tours. Nobody had ever done that. They called me legend. Wow. But after I did that, I was like, huh. And I look at the commission check and I was like, uh, th this is not exciting. How much was it? I don't remember how much it was, but they don't give you too much on each deal. It's been mm -hmm. a while ago. Right. I mean, it was maybe a couple thousand bucks or something like that. It, it's not exciting to right. me. Right. And I said, well, because I was thinking that they could make a lot more money. Mm -hmm. And, but they, because I, but they can't because they don't sell that many. So it's not something I want to sign up for. I quit, I quit there and I basically became a sales trainer again with another company that, that was in the advertising and marketing. And then I, but simultaneously, I basically, Daniel, oddly enough, did exactly what I did at the beginning <laughs> to, be to become successful and started working real estate on the side. Basically, then I was smarter about it. So I'd take my profits, I'd reinvest, I'd buy a house. Boom. You go throw a rock at it. There's my money. Wow. My money's right there. Go throw, go throw a rock at it. It's nice. there. So I started to do that and, and to stack them up to where my goal was I, I want to be able not to have to work. So if, if my legs blew up, if I went Lieutenant Dan on Forrest Gump or my, my vocal cords went out or whatever happened, right. I still have residual income to live a nice life, to be able to support my family to where I don't have to work. So that was my goal and that's what happened. Mm -hmm. Wow. And uh, I mean, you've apparently you've set a few world records, right, for your sales achievements. So Yeah, with that, uh, most of them came at the beginning with that, the, that same company that I, when I was young. So what makes you such a great salesman? What, why are you better than everybody else? Or what makes a, a great salesperson? Someone listening to this that wants to get those sales skills, what would you advise them? I would advise them to learn about frame control. And there's a, there was a book that was written by a guy named Oren Claff, and he talks about frame control. And it's what I discovered. Like when I read his book, I said, holy crap, this is what I've been doing this whole time. Hmm. He's just articulated it in a way that explains how it works with the brain and the neuroeconomics behind it. But it's called framing, and it's basically controlling the conversation. If you you know control the frame, win the game. And I learned it through my uncle when I was eighteen, and he taught me how to go in to take control of the situation, to bust up their frame, and to reestablish my own frame. Give me an example. I, Can you give us an example of, of sure. framing? So when I was when I was going out and selling, you know, advertising marketing, I'd sit down in front of a business and I would they you know, I'd go in their office and they'd have chairs there, you know, like you guys got an office, you got two chairs. Yeah. Well I'd go in and like rearrange the chairs real quick. So <laughs> You're kidding. No. I'd go around, rearrange the chairs, turn it sideways so that I could I said, Hey, I gotta stretch my legs out, my <laughs> legs been cramped in the car. Oh, okay. So I I, I busted I take control of the situation and then I, I maybe I'll I have my materials or whatever, and I don't allow people to hold them. I might put it on the table, and he goes to reach for it, and I take, yeah, not yet. <laughs> and so I, I'd go in, and uh, my uncle taught me this one because I was real big into working out at that time. I'd go to Gold's Gym all the time. Oh, yeah. And I, I had a Gold's Gym icon, the key, key fob, keychain uh -huh, thing on, uh -huh. my, on my thing. And so he said, you know what you ought to do? I said, what? This is my uncle talking to me. He said, <laughs> he says, you know, what you need to do is this. You see this Gold's Gym thing? I said, yeah. He says, you walk in when you got your appointments. You tell the people, you say, look, really, this is a full-time job, but 
I only work a few hours a day, which is true because I was really good. And I, you know what I do the rest of my time? And the prospect's looking at you like, you know, <laughs> like what does this have to do with anything? Yeah. And I said, you know what I do the rest of the time? I'm here at Gold's Gym. I love Gold's Gym. It's like I go down there. It's like a work. It's not only do I work out, but I got a lot of friends down there. There's a lot of pretty girls there. You know, it's a fun place to be. And that's because this, you know, whatever it is I'm selling to them works. I really don't need to try that hard. And I'm looking at your parking lot. And there's not too many people out there. And I've been <laughs> in here you know, five minutes and the phone's not ringing too much. So the, what you really want to know is does this work? So let's just cross that bridge right now. It works. Here's a couple testimonials. And so now you know it works. Let's go ahead and move on with this. That way I can, yeah, I really want to, I'm going to go ride some motorcycles later on. So you're kidding me. You know, we'll go and wrap this up. You actually said this. You actually would walk in and say that. You put your legs up and actually talk like that. Yeah. Do you have? Do they not kick you out? I mean, did it? I mean, why are you not scared? I, like, what the hell? I've only got kicked out of one place that I could remember, and the guy, he's he, didn't, <laughs> he, you know, he didn't click with me or whatever. It was actually a restaurant, oh, and okay. he kicked me out. But uh, he didn't kick me out. He actually got up from the table and left. So, oh, <laughs> I mean, okay, okay. You have to do it in a way to where it's it's also done. You're doing it friendly. Mm, you know, yeah. you're, you're doing it. You're not like you're you're not overbearing with it, but you're friendly with it to where they kind of get a kick out of it. You know, like, oh, right, he's a right. nice guy and he's a little weird, but you know, whatever. <laughs> right. But really, what you're doing, you, uh, Daniel, is you're controlling the situation. It's your situation, and 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 as salespeople, you need to do that anyway because you're the leader in the conversation. They don't know about what you have. You do. Mm. So you, you have to be the one to lead them. Now you're the leader. And once you have that established and you realize that you're the prize, in other words, whatever it is I'm selling, they need. Well, or, and if they, do, if they don't need it, I ought not to be in there. Mm. So they have a pain. And I'm like the doctor and I have the medicine. They don't have it or else they would have already fixed it. Right. Isn't that true, Mr. Prospect? That's what the one thing I would ask them. Isn't if you knew true? how to fix this, it would already be fixed, wouldn't it? Right. That's a, that's a tie down. Wouldn't it? Couldn't it? Shouldn't it? All <laughs> those kind of things you can ask people. And that's what, one of the things that you ask people. If you already knew how to fix this, you would already fix it, wouldn't you? Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's cross the bridge. Really, this is a full-time job, but I spend most of my time. See, I haven't had it memorized. I spend mm. most of my time down at the Gold Jam. There's a lot of pretty girls down there. It's fun. My <laughs> friends are down there. And, you know, we, 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 what you're doing, I see you don't have a lot of cars in the parking lot. There's not a lot of people ringing on the line. So what you really want to know is, does this work? So I'm supposed to tell you how this is a Fortune 500 company and how we have X amount of people and we do billions of dollars a year, but really you don't want to know all that. That's called telling them <laughs> without telling them. Right, I right. I did that. Telling them without telling them. It's where I tell you that I'm supposed to tell you something or that I tell other people this and mm. by effect, I just told you. Right, right. By the way, how do you do this? Because this is amazing. I, I'm loving this. I mean, I can picture you actually walking in there. How would you do this on, on, on social media or online? Because obviously, a lot of people nowadays, they're using you know, uh, social media platforms to sell. And they're using online, uh, you know, on the websites and stuff like that. How would you frame online? So I, I actually teach this. I have a, a six-figure coaches club mm, where okay. I, teach co this, I teach coaches this. And so what, what, what you do is you set the frame from the beginning. So let's say you're talking to somebody in a private message on Facebook. Mm -hmm. You go and you look for the pain point. So if you're, let's say that you, let's say, and what I do, which is me is, is the example. Yeah. I, somebody likes one of my posts 
And you, first of all, you never ever spam people or copy and paste messages because that's lame and it looks makes you look stupid and people ignore it. Right. So don't do that. You treat people like people and make everything organic. So somebody likes one of my messages. I say, hey, uh, I'll, I'll just read you one. You want yeah, me to read okay. you one? Yeah, I'll pull it up not? right now. Sure. I'll read you one. All right. So I put up a post. I don't remember what it was about. <laughs> and the the person, I'll, I'll leave her name out, but I'll just, I'll, I'll put it. Uh, let's call her Mary. Okay. So Mary liked one of my posts on sales or client acquisition because that's what I'm all about. So I said, hey, Mary, when you liked one of my posts, I checked you out real quick. How's the coaching sales coming? She says, pretty good, of course. Of course, it could be better, and I'm absolutely open to any suggestions you have. I say, when you say it could be better, what do you mean? She says, well, I spend 30 minutes on each sales call answering questions, reinforcing my program. would be better if it was more passive, and I could have better closing average. So then I say, I say back to Mary, I said, wait, listen, you offer way too much information on your sales page. You're killing the sales power like that. You're letting too much information out. She hmm. says, seriously? And, and, and I said, yes, this page. She says, yes, rats. And I said, we should talk, dot, 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 seriously. She says, okay, I'm in a meeting right now. How about tomorrow? She says, sure. I said, I'm taking calls next couple of days. Pick a time in my calendar. It works for you. She <laughs> picks a time, and we talk the next day, and she buys. Wow. Nice. Nicely done. So that's, that's, how, that's how people should do it. Whatever, whatever your product or service is, you should do that and go and look for their pain point, right? So she said that her sales are good but could be better. Now, I didn't congratulate her on the great sales. Most people would say, congratulations, that's so great. Do that. <laughs> right. I want to get to her pain because she says could be better. So let's talk about that. Hmm. So I, you, I, I go to the pain. You're, you're a business coach and a sales mentor, but there are tons of, of business coaches out there and they're, they're full of hot air. Like you, you know that, right? What, right? what makes you different to them? How do you sell yourself? How do you separate yourself from all of that? Well, I focus only on coaches. So and client the, for, the client acquisition for coaches because most coaches don't know how to sell. So I mentor them and sales and client acquisition. Here's how I make myself different. Here's, I'll just tell you what they tell me because mm -hmm. they, they've all had business coaches and all that stuff. And I, they tell me that I actually give them things to make money today, you know, sales that they can go out and they could go prospect and go get an appointment and go make sales. As we were, a lot of the other business coaches are what you said hot air, it's rah-rah, it's positive thinking. I don't do all that, even though that's part of being successful. I basically give you, how, teach you how to prospect, teach you how to close sales calls, teach, you know, I have, I listen to all my coaches, all my coaches who are my mentees, I listen to all their sales calls, then critique them, and I, you know, I, I basically, it's all very rubber meets the road, action-oriented stuff. It's not all the rah-rah hot air. What do you think of Grant Cardone? Because he's supposed to be the Zig Ziglar of today. Yeah, well, I'm going to replace him. He's an old guy, so Whoa, he, he better, oh, there we go, better, Aaron. He better look out. <laughs> That's he's, the he's attitude. A, he's pushing sixty. I'm still yeah. thirty. So, he, he, the young guys are coming after you, Grant. Anyways, go, whoever's listening to this, Aaron Janks, guys. So uh, you know, yeah, tell him it's going to be tell Grant. <laughs> Grant Cardone, watch your back. Aaron Janks you know, is coming. Watch you, your back, Grandpa. <laughs> how do you manage to scale your coaching business? Because a lot of people who are who are coaching or, or doing any sort of like one-man band. Oh, you, 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 do you do a one-to-many. So, And I actually teach the coaches to do this. So, Because if you just do one-to-one, -one, you're going to find yourself regurgitating the same information over and over again. Uh -huh. So you, you, you put together a hybrid program 
to where you take somebody, you, I, I call it a keystone product. You take somebody through a six, eight, or 12-week process where they, they do get some one-on-ones with you, but basically they're going through it in a group. So you have, like for me, I have a weekly Tuesday call. Tomorrow I'll have my call at 11 a.m., and all the coaches will get on the line from that, from that group, and they'll ask questions about the stuff that we went over the previous week, and we'll get them rock and rolling. And all, it's all about sales, about how they can get clients and scale that up to where instead of now you're doing one-on-one, you're doing maybe one on 15 uh, clients. So mm-hmm. you're doing it that way as opposed to one on one, which is makes you crazy. And, you know, how do you, how, if someone's listening who actually wants to join your coaching program, what do they have to do? First, they have to recognize that I'm a mentor, not a coach, because and here's how I make the distinction. When you're a coach, you have clients. And as a client, you have fiduciary relationships to the client. Well, I don't have fiduciary relationship with my mentees. That gives me the right to kick them in the butt, because <laughs> I I don't you know I don't hold back on these folks. I like what you said at the beginning. I'm in their face. I'm tell it like it is. And if they if they don't like it, it's not going to change my life. If they join or not join or if they drop, I don't care. You know I mean, I want their best, and I'm going to tell them what I think that they need to hear. So if they want to join, first of all they have to apply, because I just don't work with anybody. See, that's frame control, right? Yeah. I'm yeah. setting the frame, which is it's still true. So that, your frame needs to be true, but it needs to reinforce. I just don't work with anybody. I got to like you, number one, or at least be able to tolerate you. Mm-hmm. And you need to go on AaronJanks.com forward slash application. And you can go on there and fill out the application to, to apply for a booking time to, to talk with me. And then we'll talk and, and see, uh, see if I'm the right fit or you're the right fit for me. You titled your podcast show Insights for Winning the War of Success. Do you think success is a war? I do think it's a war. And basically, I've changed my podcast from the beginning like two or three times to where because I didn't know where I was or where I belong. Because when I started it, Daniel, I was, I was bored. I didn't really know what to do. I had achieved my real <laughs> estate goal. And I started off, it was called Social Spurs. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought it would be about people who are spurring people on to do things, and I just interviewed over 300 on- online entrepreneurs, and that got real, to me, it got old. And right. then I changed it to something more aggressive, and I was calling it War Ready Strategies to Win the War of Success, and then I kept that line, and then I just changed it to the Aaron Jenks Show, where I just, I listened to the marketplace. Instead of me trying to do what they, they want sales from me. That's what they want. That's what people want me for. So I'm okay with that, Whatever. So I, I just focus on sales. So the Aaron Jank Show is what it is now. And it's all about I do live sales mentoring. So I bring people on the hot seat like you. And you come on, you tell me what you're selling, and I tell you how, do we, how you can sell it better in you know, 20, 30 minutes. So mm-hmm. it is a war because the biggest enemy that you have is yourself and your attitude, your thinking. And there's also people out there, we like to call them haters or what naysayers, they don't want you to win. You know, they, they don't want you to be successful. So we're against that. We're against all these things that come against us. And we have, in order to win, we have to treat it as though it's a war. People are trying to take us out. We have to go and, and get the upper hand. So that's, I do think in a sense, it is a war. Of course, it's not a real war like people mm-hmm. are dying, but right. it's, a, it's a mental war. 
And just before we wrap up, this has been absolutely incredible, Aaron. Um, what would you leave with our listeners? Just some practical advice in terms of for them to to start and grow their business or to get better at uh, at sales. What would you say is the most practical advice you can give them today? First of all, to understand that everything comes second to sales, because if you don't have sales, you don't have a business. You have a hobby. Mm-hmm. So you need to learn how to sell above everything. Marketing, no, that's second. Marketing is the servant to sales. So in order to go to learn how to sell, you need to go buy books, CDs, audio programs, seminars. You know, you mentioned Grant Cardone. Mm-hmm. You know, you can. I have a, a, a Facebook group called Straight Up Entrepreneurs. You know, you need to go and, and seek out sales trainers and absorb everything you can. Take that back to your business and apply it. The first step, go read Oren Claff's book, Pitch Anything by Oren Claff, and the first 100 pages. The rest of it is, eh, it's it's kind of like the, where he just gives stories of how he used framing. But the first 100 pages are essential to learning how to set frames in your own business so that people are pitching to you why they why they want to work with you and not you pitching why you want to work with them. Well, I'm definitely going to go buy that book. I'm going to put the uh, the Amazon link. It's on Amazon, right? You can get it on Amazon. Yes, it is. So I'm, I'm going to put the link in my show notes. So if you're listening to this and you want to grab a copy of that book, just uh, get on the show notes. And uh, it's danielgeffen.com forward slash 38, uh, 39, sorry. Uh, and then just click the link and you can get a hold of that copy. Um, I'll send you also, I'll send you, Daniel, uh, and for your listeners, a, a, there's a YouTube of Oren where he explains like in five minutes what framing mm. is all about. Maybe you could put that link on the show notes yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to put that in the show notes too. Aaron, what's the best way for my listeners to get in touch with you? The best way is in the Facebook group, Straight Up Entrepreneurs, where I give it to you straight up so you can go straight up. And that's on Facebook. So you, if you want to go to my website, you can. It's just going to point you there anyway. So okay. it, it's my website's AaronJanks.com. I don't ask you for an email or anything there. Just go to Facebook, look up Straight Up Entrepreneurs. The group is is, is only a couple months old. We're we're pushing two thousand people. So oh, wow, yeah. So it's grown really fast. People are really thirsty for guys like me who just give it to them straight up without all the flowers and fluff and woo woo and all that stuff. I mean, it's just <laughs> it's straight up. Very cool. So I'll link I'll link to that Facebook group as well in the show notes. Aaron, this has been incredibly inspiring. Thanks so much for letting me pick your brain. Thank you to all my fellow listeners. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.